Hello, and welcome to the Badger Talks podcast, the podcast that shares interviews with experts from the University of Wisconsin-Madison community about their work, research, and a little bit about what they're like as people, too. I'm your host, Buzz Kemper. Today, we're focusing on fruit pathology, and I'm happy to have as my guest, Dr. Leslie Holland, Assistant Professor and Extension Specialist of Fruit Crop Pathology and Alfred Topfer Faculty Fellow at the UW-Madison. And she's here to talk with us about her work in helping cure diseases in plants, particularly in fruits. Leslie, thank you so much for being on the program today. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. And here's a thing we don't often think about. Pathology in fruits. <laughs> so so let's just figure out what that means, first of all. A pathogen is, is an organism that causes some kind of disease, correct? Correct, yes. Okay. And I assume that you're studying pathogens that relate to fruits that are Wisconsin yes. specific? Okay, great. Correct. So what? give me the general overview. What are you finding? Yes, absolutely. I will say I think I'm one of the few people that is always thinking about fruit pathogens. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I'd say the, the, the focus of what my, my research is in my program is uh, primarily cranberry. That's the biggest fruit crop in Wisconsin. So we grow 60% uh, of the cranberries in the U.S., which is pretty impressive. I did not know that. I knew that we were big in cranberry yeah. with 60%. We're the biggest, yeah. Wow. Yep. We got to change our name from the dairy state to the cran, right? Right. I'm in total support of that. They're delicious. <laughs> <laughs> Although dairy's pretty good too. Dairy's so. good too. Yeah, yeah, fair, fair. And so we do cranberry, we do a little bit of apple, and then we do grape as well in terms of our research. So those are the big cropping systems we work with. But of, but of course, as a pathologist, I care about the pathogens. So we primarily work with fungal pathogens, um, but occasionally we'll uh, come across a bacterial pathogen or a viral pathogen, which I think we all know far more about than we'd like to at this point <laughs> considering the last few years so yeah, yeah the same pathogens that can impact animals and humans are the same ones that can also impact plants that actually is my next question which is are these the same pathogens exactly or are they related in various families to a pathogen that might affect a human or an animal? Because I, I think of pathogens as being pretty organism specific, like yes. a thing that will make a, let's just use badger since we're in Wisconsin, a thing that will make <laughs> a badger sick, give a badger disease, might have no effect at all on a human or on a tulip. Exactly. Okay. Yep. Yeah, they're completely different on plants for the most part. Yep. So we'll see viruses um, on plants, but they're not the same virus that you would get as a human or an animal. Okay. So, yeah. so the pathogens that you are looking at that are affecting these fruits, yes. they are very fruit specific then? Am I correct? Some are fruit specific and some are just crop specific. So some ah. might have a very restricted host range to only cranberry perhaps or only grape or something like that. But some of them can infect corn and potato and there's some really broad groups of pathogens as well that just aren't as picky so hmm. is your research primarily looking at and the answer might be both but is it primarily looking at ways to 
prevent these pathogens from taking hold or curing the disease once the pathogen has its evil way with the fruit? (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it depends on when we get to step in on the process. Ideally, prevention is always what we want to approach. So we really study a lot of approaches. How do we prevent this disease um, from wreaking havoc in this plant? How do we prevent this pathogen from even entering the cropping system? Or once it does, how do we prevent it from spreading even further within that crop? So that's where we'd like to come from. Although sometimes you don't get the phone call or the email until things have gotten much more destructive, right? So then you're kind of trying to cure things, which is, I would say, really hard to do in most cases without really removing the plant for a lot of the diseases that are that destructive. So, so yeah, you just mentioned what we learn when we get the phone call, when we get the, the email. How do you get contacted? <laughs> How does someone who is, you know, has a cranberry bog yeah. and they have a problem, how do they connect to you? How do they know even to connect with you? I love that's a great question. So typically growers, I work primarily with commercial growers of all fruit crops in the state of Wisconsin. And when they have an issue, they usually call me or email me and they know to reach out to me because my discipline is in pathology. So I always joke with people that no one's ever calling me when their plants look happy and healthy. The the (laughs) phone lines are down, the emails, inbox is empty. It's not when thing until things start looking really not so great that I get a lot of the phone calls. That yeah, that makes that makes (laughs) sense. Anytime I visit my doctor, she says, How are you? I say, Well I'm here. Right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Right. I mean (laughs) So let's just go from there. Yeah. Yeah, that's and and the primary uh, fruits that you're dealing with yeah. in Wisconsin, I, I read, are cranberries, grapes, and apples. Yes. Cranberries and apples, uh, neither one of those surprised me. Grapes did a little bit. Okay. How big a deal are grapes in the state of Wisconsin? So it's certainly a growing industry in Wisconsin. We're not huge, but we're, we're growing pretty quickly. And we have Concord grapes, right? So like juice grapes, things like that. But surprisingly to a lot of people, we also have a pretty decent sized wine grape industry. So we're making wines in Wisconsin. Uh, the interesting thing about our grapes here, though, they're not like grapes in France or California, because as I think we all know, it gets quite cold in Wisconsin. Wisconsin. I've noticed that. You know, just yeah. occasionally, right? <laughs> occasionally. Occasionally. Um, and so because it gets so cold, we actually have to grow hybrid grapes here. So they're hybrids of the grapes you would see in California crossed with another grape that are typically native to North America. And these hybrids have actually allowed these grapes to grow in these really cold places. So they're very cold hardy, um, which allows them to grow in Wisconsin and we're able to produce wines. So wow. pretty impressive. I yeah, the grapes at all surprised me a little bit. Wines and vineyards surprised me even more. Again, because of well, because of the seasonal changes. Yeah. What happens to your vineyard in January? Right. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's taking a break. Yeah, that's I, when the, that's when the wines are being consumed. So. Right, right. That's when we're right. We're making it during the warm weather and and drinking it uh, profusely during the cold that's right. weather. So, can you give me a story, an example of of uh, just take us through a scenario? You get a call or an email from X cranberry grower, grape grower, and then you investigate how, just take us through the scenario. How does it typically unfold? And if you have a specific story that would illustrate this, uh, that would be really illuminating. Sure. Yeah. So it can go different ways, but how it typically goes is, you know, I get an email or a phone call or sometimes I get it from like someone like a scout who maybe works with their grower first and then they relay the information to me. And usually folks can send in samples to my lab or we have a diagnostic clinic on campus they can also get a diagnostic for. But for kind of the weird, unusual ones, I will oftentimes go and visit a marsh or an orchard or a vineyard to take a sample. And so I'll drive out there uh, and speak with the grower about kind of how things have been going. I, I 
had actually one a couple weeks ago dealing with fire blight of apple and that's a really devastating disease of apple once you have it it's really hard to to try and control uh and F- fire blight fire blight yes okay pretty cool name devastating disease though. yeah 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 i mean it should be the name of a rock band right. actually yeah. but well, fire blight rocks pretty hard, unfortunately, yeah, I, for the apple yeah. trees. Um, and so, uh, and, and homeowners can get this as well. But uh, I drove out to the farm. Uh, I oftentimes take samples and I'll bring them back to the lab to confirm a diagnosis. But also I'll just spend time talking to the grower. Okay, what are the factors that might have led to you seeing an outbreak like this? And what practices are you currently using that either maybe are encouraging the pathogen or not encouraging the pathogen? So it's kind of the same questions you get at your doctor's office, right? What have you been up to? What medications are you taking? I'm asking my version of that for the plants to check in and see what practices um, can we institute that are going to help things along. Hmm. And can you give me an example of some of the practices that might be detrimental that that might that might actually make uh, something like fire blight or a different uh, a different disease worse that's a really good question so a lot of what I would I, I see for both bacterial and fungal diseases is they love moisture most of them really love moisture so if growers, we'll say aren't pruning enough to allow aeration and the the air movement through the canopy enough, if they're irrigating too much and the leaves are constantly wet, all these things that contribute to moisture just sticking and not getting cleared out, that can really ramp up a lot of the fungal bacterial diseases that we see. That makes sense. And yet the fruit, of course, uh, the, the fruit tree or, or the, the vine or whatever you're growing it on uh, needs a, a ton of water. And, yes. and what about, I mean, cran- cranberries, I hope, don't have pathogens that are made worse by moisture because they, they live in bogs, right? Yeah, they're in pretty relatively wet environments, although I will say one of the biggest misconceptions about cranberry is that they grow in water and they don't. They actually grow in what we call them beds, um, but the plants are usually about six to eight inches tall, and those beds are irrigated, so they'll be wet from irrigation, but they dry out during the day, and it's kind of like walking on like kind of bouncy grass almost. I didn't know that either. I thought the bog was the whole thing. So what is the what is the uh, the purpose of the bog then? The flooding that people typically, so that's harvest. Yeah. So actually this is the best, so this is harvest season that we're in right now. Typically it starts in September and goes through October, but the cranberry beds are then flooded with water and cranberry fruits themselves actually kind of have these four chambers or pockets and that allows them to float. So right now this is what's happening. They're being flooded, the fruits are floating to the top and this is harvest. But when they're not being harvested, they're just growing on a tiny little, tiny little shoot and hanging out like the rest of the crops. I know they sound a lot less exciting that way. I think <laughs> we have the iconic flooded, you know, ocean spray commercial photo in our head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but. No, I, I'm just. This is fascinating because I never knew any of this about about cranberry. I thought they just lived in the bogs, yeah. and I didn't know about the 60% uh, of cranberries coming yeah. from Wisconsin statistic either. That is terrific. Do you find that? You are dealing with pathogens that have always existed and they maybe mutate a little bit here and there. Or are you dealing sometimes with an entirely new thing, like when COVID hit? Are there plant equivalents of COVID where suddenly something just pops up that didn't exist before? I love that question. Yeah, there totally are. In fact, a disease that showed up in Wisconsin, it showed up a year before I started my position, lucky me. Oh, wow. Um, it, and it, 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 right? It was, <laughs> Great it, timing. It's, it's, just, it's right. It, it was there just for you. <laughs> right, just waiting. Uh, and this de- disease actually showed up 100 years ago in Cranberry and nearly took out the entire industry in the U.S. 
it was it's really destructive it, it'll completely uh, essentially cause the plant not to fruit it aborts fruit so this almost knocked out the industry about 100 years ago through different management approaches typically breeding and the use of insecticides which killed the vector a little insect that moves the pathogen it seemingly disappeared and then about a year before i started 2019 it decided to rear its ugly head again and so now we don't we don't know how to manage it in a lot of ways right we have these tools that we learned about you know, 60, 80 years ago, but we have new technologies and new tools now. So how do we use those and implement those in order to now manage this thing that's reappeared out of nowhere, it feels like, so. And and that'll be, the, so So you just gave me my next question. Okay. So how do you deal with it? How, now, what, now what do you do? You don't have tools in a toolbox because this is something that you just dealt with two years ago. There's now tools from 80 years ago that are perhaps not very useful, um, sort of the plant pathology equivalent of bleeding someone with leeches, right. you know, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So what do you do? Yeah, no, that's a good question. So we're trying to revisit some of those initial management approaches. Do they still work? Do they still hold value? And once we kind of evaluate those, then we look into what we know about the biology of the pathogen. So for instance, this particular pathogen, it can only live in the plant tissue or the insect factor. It can't live outside. Like a lot of the fungi we work with, we can culture in a Petri dish, no problem. This pathogen can only live in the plant and only live in the insect. So we, knowing those two factors, we know a lot about the biology of the pathogen. So we know that where you could potentially prune out, like fire blight and apple, you can't prune out this pathogen because it lives in the entire plant. So in order for us to, to cure or remedy the plant, um, we have to pull it out entirely because the pathogen's still going to survive. So we know that about the biology and that helps us answer questions about how to manage it. Wow. And then once you figure out a way to manage it, is it typically method of raising? Like you talked about uh, doing things to reduce the amount of moisture that hangs around uh, in the case of a pathogen that really needs moisture in order to survive. Is it typically something like that that's like a methodology or is it do you sometimes have to resort to other ways of dealing with these pathogens? Yeah, I think for this one in particular, it's going to take more aggressive methods because okay. it, it can infect the plant. I think another thing that's tricky about this is it kind of has what I'll call a bit of a, a sneaky period or what we really call a latent period in pathology, which means when it infects and then when you see symptoms, there's a pretty long delay. So it could be inside of infecting a plant currently, but you might not know that. There might not be symptoms expressing. So it's like, how do we manage something that we can't see? Oh, man. Right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Tell me about it. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. So it creates more lucky of a challenge. You. Yeah, lucky me. Wow. Exactly. So what got you? This is such a, it's interesting. It's important. And yet it's just completely arcane. Like nobody would ever think <laughs> of this. What, so when you were a kid, did you think, hey, when I grow up, right. you know? <laughs> I'm going to get excited about dying plants. Right. No, <laughs> no, believe it or not, those were not my childhood dreams. Okay. Um, I think growing up, I was actually interested in becoming a doctor for human medicine. And I, I, I started on that route. I think like a lot of plant pathologists have done. And then I, I don't know if I wasn't a big person on dealing with blood or something like that. But then I found plants and I thought they were so interesting. I found horticulture, you could grow these fruit crops and they were beautiful. And then I found plant pathology and that that brought my love of still wanting to be a doctor, right? Still kind of doing medicine, but also plants. And so now I'm a plant doctor. And so, right, I get to see my patients. They can come to me, usually not on their own volition, but. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, so I still get to use those same techniques and skills, um, but just a different uh, patient, if you will. What do you find most gratifying? I imagine it's when you find a solution, but but yeah. I'm, I'm gonna let, let you just yeah. What 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 makes you feel like wow? This is this is 
what I love doing and this is why. Yeah, you know, I think it's definitely finding solutions, but I think for me it's being able to translate. We do so much in the in the field, in the lab, in the greenhouse. We do a lot of research, right? When we actually put it all together and deliver that kind of deliverable, yeah, to to growers, that makes me feel the best, right? It's like here's this thing that they're dealing with day in and day out, and now we have this solution for you. We have these options for you to manage it the best way, to optimize your current practices so that we can we can manage this disease, and that's really rewarding. Terrific. Maybe one more question, although maybe two. One is uh, that I just, on a personal level, when I was looking at your website, there's a picture of an adorable dog. <gasps> yes. uh, you obviously have an adorable dog. <laughs> I do. Um, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, that's, tell me about the dog. My dog. So, my dog's name is Clyde. Um, he, I think, is admired by everyone in my lab. Nice. Uh, <laughs> no, he's great. He actually comes to the field with me sometimes. He's not the best at disease identification, um, but he's working on it. Okay. So, you know, he's, he's building up. But yeah, he's a great dog. He's a herding dog. So okay. he likes to usually kind of keep us in line, which I can appreciate when we're out there. Yeah, right. You should train them to be, you know, like there are dogs that sniff out drugs or, you know, cadaver dogs. You can t- train them to sniff out pathogens exactly. in, in cranberries. There exactly. you go. That'd be great. Yeah. Terrific. <laughs> Is there anything that you would like to say about your work uh, that maybe I haven't asked the right question for? I think maybe just more generally speaking, I think plant diseases kind of like human, they always feel and sound so morbid, but I always, I think they're constantly around us and I always encourage people in their backyard to take a look at that apple tree or that plant. I mean, you'll you'll find plant diseases and mm-hmm. while they aren't a good thing, I do think that sometimes they do have a certain type of beauty <laughs> yeah. uh, with, with the different shapes and colors that they make. So I don't know, I think it's always good to encourage people to at least become aware of them and, and see them because they're out there in yeah. our everyday life. You are a remarkable person and you find beauty in disease, <laughs> I and which I know, I mean, not, not that you find them beautiful, but I get what you mean, yeah. that there is, there is beauty to be found in perhaps the markings or you know the, the visual cues that you see. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Absolutely terrific. Um, Leslie Holland, thank you so much. This has been really interesting, and I I just had no idea of how vital this work is to the food that we eat and to the industries in Wisconsin that rely on these fruits. Thank you for being here and thank you for your work. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I love what I do. Great. I can tell. (laughs) I can tell. You've been listening to the Badger Talks podcast. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Assistant Professor and Extension Specialist of Fruit Crop Pathology, Leslie Holland. The Badger Talks podcast is a creation of UW Connects and produced at Audio for the Arts Recording Studios in Madison, Wisconsin. Our music is composed by Bill Purdy and performed by the UW Marching Band. I'm Buzz Kemper. Thank you for listening.